Ephesians chapter number one, and uh, we're going to continue on Paul's prayer for us here for the church. And, you know, it's been kind of interesting as we've been looking through this, um, everything that God's been showing us out of scripture, what God is trying to get across to us, these truths that he keeps revealing to us, verse by verse, truth by truth, giving us truth, revealing to us truth. And, you know, one of the things that I've been saying as we've been kind of going through Ephesians is, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Um, It's one thing to be told truth, but it's another thing to actually act upon that truth and believe that truth. I mean, we we tell people truth all the time. When we we share Christ with people, we tell them, Jesus can save you from your sins. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus is the only one that can forgive sins. Jesus is the only one that resurrected from the grave. We give them truth, but it's another thing to believe that truth. And the same as us as believers in Christ, yes, we have the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit is teaching us. But even as we read truth, unless that truth is enlightened to us and we we act upon it, it does nothing for us. It's just words on a page. We're just reading words. So there must be an enlightening part from the work of the Holy Spirit that's living inside of us to reveal that truth. And God says, this is truth. And we go, aha, yes, that's truth. I believe it. And we act upon it and it changes our lives. So as we've been looking through here, we've we've been seeing this identity that, that Christ has been showing us of who we are, that we've been blessed by God, that we've been redeemed by Christ, we've been sealed by the Spirit, all these spiritual blessings that God is saying, this is truth, this is for you, this is who you are. And we came down here to this prayer now, and it's interesting, Paul gives the truth, and now he prays for them, And the prayer that he offers is for them to know what truth is, for truth to be revealed. Remember last week we looked at that we might have a spirit of wisdom and revelation of him, that God would enlighten us and and we would understand who he is. And so here this week we're going to continue in this prayer and we're going to see this of how, how God is at work in our lives What is it like in your relationship with God right now? I mean, would you you say that you feel spiritually full in your life? Is your heart rejoicing over the wonder of who God is and and what he has revealed to you? I mean, if I I must confess to you, I, I would probably say even in my own life that there are times that I do not feel spiritually full, probably more that I don't feel spiritually full than I should feel spiritually full. Is anybody else like that? Okay. Why is that? Why does that happen in our lives? You see, there are times that, and moments that I have doubts, moments when I'm discouraged, and even times that when I feel like I should even be giving up. If you can recall for me, uh, with me back in uh, when uh, John the Baptist, he, he was preaching and then he gets put into prison and John's there in prison and he hears that, that Jesus is healing people. He hears about all these things going on and the disciples even go to visit John the Baptist while he's in prison and John said, is he really 
the Christ? Is, is he really the Christ? I mean, even John had times where he was spiritually having these times of, of doubt and, and discouragement in his life. And what did uh, Jesus tell the disciples to tell John? He says, you, you'll tell them that the dead are being raised, people are, are, are being healed, the gospel is being preached. And so truth is being revealed and given back to him. And so here as we look in Ephesians chapter 1, God is trying to tell us truth and he's trying to give us and reveal to us that truth is real, that it's a reality. God's word is real, it's a reality. And then we must believe that in order to see change happen in our life. You see, do we desire a greater understanding? Do we desire a greater experience of the many spiritual blessings which are ours in Christ? And that's what Paul prays here for these Christians here that are at Ephesus. So let's look here, uh, Ephesians chapter number 1, and look with me in verse number 18. Look what he says here. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Now isn't this interesting? Your heart has eyes. Your heart has eyes. God's word says that your eyes, your heart has eyes and your heart can see. Now, most of us, when we think of the heart, we automatically are sometimes thinking of that organ that's pumping blood, right? But God is trying to get across to us a spiritual part of man, that man is both a material being and he is a spiritual being. And God is more concerned about the spiritual than he is the material. And he says that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. This is Paul's prayer. And he's saying, I'm praying that, that the God of our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, that he may give you a spirit of revelation, a spirit of wisdom, that your heart of, the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. You probably heard the phrase that there is more to it than meets the eye, Right? Well, here, this is exactly what Paul is praying for, that your eyes, the, 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 the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. And it go, oh, yes, I get it. I understand. I see what they're saying. You see, if we see sometimes people that are crying, our physical eyes, we can see them crying and we can say, oh, there's something wrong. But then our heart, our heart says there's something deeper there. There's, a, there's an issue going on. And it, and it moves us to enter into to their realm. And we ask questions. What's going on? How are you doing? We see with our hearts that something is, is going on. And Paul's prayer is that they will have this deeper seeing with their eyes of their heart. That they would be enlightened. That they would understand what is happening. What the spiritual blessings that we've been blessed with in Christ. That truth would be revealed. It would be an enlightening moment. And so Paul prays for this. And look what he prays for. There's three things here that he's going to pray for specifically that their eyes or their heart would be enlightened. Here's the first one. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. The hope to which he has called you. Sometimes we lose hope. Have you lost hope this week? Did you lose hope last week? How about last month? How about this entire year so far? Maybe this year started out horrible for you. 
And you're like, man, there's just no hope. I'm just going to just continue going, continue going. But I mean, there's just really no hope. I talk to people sometimes and they tell me God's word doesn't work. God's word doesn't work. It doesn't give me any hope. God's word's not working. Why is that? Because their eyes or their heart have not been enlightened to truth. And so we need this in our life. This is something we should be praying for. This is something we should be praying for as a church that our, that our eyes of our heart would be enlightened to the hope which he has called us. Sometimes our jobs become so difficult that we don't enjoy them. We feel like we're trapped there. We feel like there's no way out. There, there's nothing that we should be able to do anymore. We've lost all hope. Sometimes it's a sickness. Sometimes people lose hope when they don't see a way, way out. Whatever the situation of desperation may be, life can get to the place where it seems hopeless. But God says that our eyes of our heart would be enlightened to what? To the hope which he has called us. But what is this hope of this calling of God? What is this hope that he's talking about? 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 14 says this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's hope. That you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That's hope. How about 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 6? Peter's talking to Christians that are going through tremendous persecution and suffering. And listen to what he says to them. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. He says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you are to rejoice. And he says, throw now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's hope. This is something God wants to enlighten our eyes to, to the hope of which he's called us. How about 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18? Again, speaking to Christians who are going through some tremendous sufferings and trials and difficulties in their life, he says, so we do not lose heart. We don't lose hope. We don't give up. Why? Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light, momentary, Affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And God wants to enlighten the eyes of our heart to the hope which he's called us. You see, our hope is found in Jesus Christ. And see, when we understand that when we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing that he's given us, 
that we know that we have entered into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and we, we know that it's been enlightened upon our hearts of our eye, the eyes of our heart, and it's been revealed to us. Christ puts us in a place where we see him and we say, I have hope in Jesus. And even though the cares of this world, everything that's going on in our world may, may be beating down upon us, we can have hope because the eyes of our heart has been enlightened that we have Jesus Christ. You see, we have hope. We hope not because of some vague notion of hope. Not like, well, I hope so. I hope so. I hope, I hope, I hope everything's going to go okay. I really, I kind of, well, I, I hope so. God says we have hope. That's a reality. And this is the hope to which we've been called. And if we have the eyes of our heart enlightened, then we will know deeply and firmly the hope to which we have been called. And really, what is that hope which he's called us to? Well, if you remember there in Ephesians chapter 1, it tells us that we should be what? That he has called us to be holy and blameless before him in love. He's called us to hope so that we might know him in a greater way. Look at the second thing that, he, that Paul prays for, that, that our eyes of our hearts might be enlightened for. Look what he says here. Secondly, the riches of his glorious inheritance. So having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, you're gonna see something here. This is really interesting because in one verse, Paul is specifically talking about an inheritance, but in this verse here, he talks about a different type of inheritance. The second thing that he looks here, he says that about this inheritance, the riches of his glorious inheritance, that we might know what the riches of his glorious inheritance is. How do we understand this? Well, see, this is a wonderful truth, and we need to grasp the depth of this, because... This amazing blessing that God has blessed us with, this, these things that God has revealed to us to show us who we are in Christ Jesus, this is something that we need to be praying for, even this church together, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we might understand the riches of his glorious inheritance. Now, verses 3 through 14 tell us all these blessings that we have in Christ. We're rich. We're extremely rich in Christ. Extremely wealthy. I mean, you talk about like Warren Buffett. I mean, he's like the fifth richest man in all the world, right? You're richer than Warren Buffett. You have more riches in Christ than Warren Buffett. You're extremely well. You're, you're filthy rich in Christ. You have so many blessings, you don't even know what to do with them. That's how rich we are in Christ. But we don't live that way. We live like paupers. Because we don't understand the eyes of our heart has not been enlightened to this. What will we inherit? What will we inherit? Eternal life, right? Because that's what he talks about. Look back up in verse number 14. He says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? We're going to inherit eternal life. Does everybody agree with that? Nod your head if you agree with that. That's yes. okay. All right, good. 
So we all agree that we're going to inherit eternal life. If you know Christ, you're going to inherit eternal life. But look at this. This is amazing. Look what he says here. We read this in this prayer. He says this. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Notice it does not say our inheritance, but it says his inheritance. Now, wait a minute. Back in verse number 14, it says, who's the guarantee of our inheritance? So what in the world is he talking about? He's saying that we're going to inherit eternal life. That's our inheritance. But what is his inheritance? Us, yes, it's the church. We are his inheritance. Let me see. Audrey, can I borrow you for an illustration real quick? Okay. How old are you, Audrey? 14. Have you been thinking about driving yet? No? Your mom and dad are probably like, yes, good. If you could have any car... What car would you want? A pickup, really? That's it? A pickup truck? What kind of pickup truck? A big one, okay. A Dodge Ram, would you want a Dodge Ram? Are you a Ford? Ford person, Chevy? Just a big pickup truck. You want it lifted? Large tires, chrome rims? Nerf bars in the front, nothing like that. Spray on rhino lining in the back of the pickup, (laughs) nothing like that. If you could have any vehicle you wanted, you want a pickup truck. Okay, now let's just say this key here is for a pickup truck. And I'd say, Audrey, you can have this pickup truck and you can use it. And so I'm giving you the key to the pickup truck and you can use it. Now, how would you treat that pickup truck knowing that I'm just letting you use it? (laughs) you'd be very gentle okay now what if I told you that I'm going to give that to you that's your inheritance how would you treat it differently knowing that it's yours not nearly as nicely it's yours it's it's all it's going to be yours from now on Let your dog ride in it, okay? Now, here's, here's the illustration here, okay? God says that we are his inheritance, okay? God is preparing for himself a church without spot or wrinkle. And so we are his inheritance. We are being given over to God, And so that our eyes of our hearts should be enlightened to that, that we're his inheritance. How should that make a difference in how we live our life? It should make a huge difference because we're his inheritance. We shouldn't just do whatever we want, live however we want, act however we want, because he is preparing for himself a glorious, beautiful, spotless bride. 
And that's how he wants to present us. As a church without spot or wrinkle. So we're his inheritance. So this glorious inheritance in the saints that our eyes would be enlightened to this. See, we gotta get, we gotta get out of our minds this idea that, that heaven is just about eternal life. I mean, yeah, we're, we're gonna live forever, but it's much more than that. It's much more than that. It's not just, yeah, I'm gonna go to heaven, I'm gonna live forever. It's, it's far greater than that. We're his inheritance. And that should bring a change about in our life of what we believe, what God says about us. God inherits us. And if we understand this with the eyes of our heart being enlightened to this, that God would, would, would we would see God as, as a God who cares for us, who treasures us, who values us, who takes extreme pride of possession of us, that he's jealous over us because we're his and he cares about us. How does this change our thinking as we go through life when calamity and, and, and destruction and, and havoc comes in our life? We think, oh, God must have forgotten about me. I must have not been good enough this week. I must have did something really bad that, that I've brought this on my life. But yet God cares about you because you're his inheritance. He's going to take care of you. He's going to relish in you. He's going to enjoy you. He's going to have pleasure and love for you because you're his inheritance. And what a blessing it is to know that we are so much more valued by God. Here's the third thing. And this is really good. I mean, if it's one thing to know the hope that we've been called, if it's another thing to know that we are God's inheritance, this, this is like the cream on the top of the cake. This is like that buttercream icing that you bite into and you're like, oh man, that's rich, that's good. Hey, listen to this. Having the eyes of our hearts enlightened that we know what? What the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. This last part of the prayer as Paul is praying for this, that we are to have our eyes enlightened. Notice this, not just to power. Now God has, God has tremendous power. He doesn't want us just to, our eyes to be, of our heart to be enlightened to power. And not just the greatness of his power, but notice the immeasurable greatness of his power. That word immeasurable gives us an awesome word picture here of Jesus' power. It's, it's kind of like going over the top. It's, it's, it's a description of the greatness of his power. It's, it's immeasurable. The description of, of, of God's power, it, it cannot be contained. It cannot be, cannot be written down. It, it cannot be described because it is immeasurable is what Paul writes. And he wants our eyes of our heart to be enlightened to that, that God has immeasurable great power. And so it's painted for us as a word that is large and beyond what we could ever imagine or even understand. And it's this great power of God is described here in these verses in a way that should cause us 
basically to stand in awe of who God is. Because God wants our hearts to be enlightened to his power. And look at this. Look what this immeasurable greatness of his power is. I believe it encompasses the gospel. Listen to what Romans 1.16 has to say. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, for the word of the cross is folly to those that are perishing, but to us that are being saved, it is the power, this immeasurable greatness of his power. It is power. It is the TNT, the dynamite power that he has. It is the power of God. And so the gospel brings great power. Look how this power is demonstrated. Look what he says here in the text that he worked in verse number 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Have you ever seen anybody rise from the dead? If we were to roll a casket in here and it had a dead man in it, and that man was dead, 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 he was dead, and then all of a sudden he gets up and he says, hi, how are you? We would, that would be an amazing thing. And God here says that the eyes of our heart would be open, that it would be enlightened to the immeasurable greatness of his power that was worked in Christ in him resurrecting from the dead. It tells us that when, when Christ resurrected from the dead, that there was a great earthquake and the tombs were opened. Many of, the, many of the, the saints that had already passed away came up out of the grave. Can you imagine that? It says that there were 500 people at one time in 1 Corinthians 15 that saw the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ at one time. What great power that must have been. They rolled a huge giant stone on the tomb of Jesus and they, they set a seal upon it because they were worried that the disciples were going to make up and conjure some kind of scheme saying that they were going to, that he resurrected from the dead. And that stone was rolled away and Jesus resurrected from the grave. What great immeasurable power that that must have been. That is awesome power. And even though it happened 2,000 years ago, do you believe that? Has your life been changed by that? Has your life been changed by the immeasurable greatness of his power in the resurrection from the dead? What about when you are confronted with sin in your life? When God reveals to you that you are in sin and God is saying, I want to give you life. Do you believe it? Or do you say, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't get over this. I can't get over this. I, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. God wants to work in immeasurable greatness of his power in your life and break the bondage of sin in your life. 
When we confront people with the gospel and we tell them that Christ is the only way of salvation, we tell them that, that, their, that their good deeds and their good works and their religion and their, their baptism and their catechism and their prayers and all the lighting of candles and rubbing of rosary beads won't get them to heaven, that it won't save them from their, from their sins, and we tell them that Christ is the only way of salvation and it confronts them with the immeasurable greatness of his power, they have to turn, repent of their sins, and receive Christ. And they're confronted with that, the immeasurable greatness of his power. And Paul is praying to these Christians, they're already Christians, that they might know the immeasurable greatness of his power. Look at this other thing that he wants them to know about the immeasurable greatness of power. Look what he says, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Why is that important for our hearts of our eyes to be enlightened to? Because so many times, you know who we seat in the heavenly places? Not Jesus, but ourselves. We create a God that we want to serve and worship other than the only true and living God. And look what he says here. He says that he seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. That's Jesus who's on the throne. Not us, it's Jesus. And the hearts of our eyes, the eyes of our hearts need to be enlightened to that. And so we need to know this. We need to know that Jesus has all power of rule and authority in everything. Jesus is in control of all of this, not us. And so have you been praying that? Is this something I want to challenge you? I want to challenge you. Start praying this prayer. Start praying this prayer. See what God enlightens your heart to. Start praying these very words of scripture here. See what the Lord teaches us, how he, how he works in our life, what he's revealing to us. Because I believe God is doing something amazing. I think he will do something amazing in our life. Let's pray together. 